0: Trouble, Coldplay, July 10th, 2000, off their debut album, Parachutes. Now in my mind, Parachutes and their second album, A Rush of Blood to the Head, was really when Coldplay was at their best. And unfortunately, that is when they were very early on in their career, this is their first and second albums I'm talking about, but Coldplay to me is a perfect example of of when it's almost better for a band to stop making new music so you sort of reach a point where you've done the best I think you could Coldplay is top three one of my favorites people hate on Coldplay I don't know why I think their music's phenomenal their earlier stuff especially I think people hate them because of more of their newer material which is a lot more electronic and that's sort of what I'm talking about older Coldplay is this melodic I guess melodic rock kind of like lime rock And really their first four albums, I will give you their first four because I love X and Y, which is their third album. Most people hate it. I think it's a great album. And then Viva La Vida, which kind of revitalized them, a bounce back album, if you will, which I think has many great songs on it. But really after that, when they started experimenting with electronic music, they sort of lost me going into Milo Xylito back in 2011. I really that's that's not my cup of tea. But for a very long time, Coldplay was my favorite until I really fully discovered Oasis, and then they kind of jumped over them. But I saw Coldplay live a couple of years ago. I actually made a vlog about it on my Life vlog channel, and they put on a great show. They do a good mix of, of their old material, which I'm a fan of, especially, and some of their new dancing material, which I am not a fan of. But in my mind, their new music, especially their really new music that they're collaborating with, Chainsmokers. I mean, it's just it's kind of, as a diehard Coldplay fan and someone who really enjoyed Coldplay as they were, it's sort of disappointing. But, you know, I know everyone goes through musical evolutions. But almost in my mind, I wish they would have stopped after the fourth album and just toured with those four albums. But we know that that doesn't normally happen. But you do reach a point. Like, Paul McCartney, God bless his soul, one of the greatest songwriters ever. His new material, really, I don't even like wings. His new material especially now when he's 70, is horrible. I mean, let's all be honest, it's horrible. There's a reason why it's never on any charts and never plays on any radio station. I don't even think the Beatles channel on Sirius XM plays his new stuff. To me, when Paul McCartney left the Beatles and left the influences of George Harrison and John Lennon, you lost a lot of charm. And to me, they worked better as a group. Now, I do love John Lennon's solo stuff. I actually think John Lennon was a much better solo artist, albeit shorter because of his untimely death than Paul McCartney. Unpopular opinion. And George Harrison's solo album, his first solo album was great. So, that's an example of when maybe it's time to stop. But you know what? Who am I to say that? If he enjoys still making music and and it makes him happy, then go for it. Liam Gallagher and Noel Gallagher of Oasis are making solo music, and I love it, except for Noel Gallagher's latest electronic people see when people move to electronic music that's when you lose me because it comes very dance and poppy and it's not at the root of who they are i know people grow and they expand they want to try new things but i guess it's just me being bitter and i i really enjoy the way things were and i wish it would stay that way but my god we're going on we're this is a this is an early podcast tangent welcome everybody to the kis podcast the kiss podcast Today is Saturday, July 20th, 2019, coming at you from a full, in effect, heat wave here in New York City. We've mentioned it a couple times already, but we reached 110 degrees today. We said we were going to, and we actually did it. And here's something crazy. So this is the hottest day since 2011. That's eight years ago. That's a long time. It reached 96 degrees here at Kennedy Airport, which is in Queens. But with the heat index, it's actually 110 but there's a caveat to that as well. The National Weather Service or the Weather Service actually puts these thermometers in like grassy areas where they're out of, the, out of the sun. So sunlight's not directly on them. So they measure a certain temperature, which is, you know, in this case, 96 degrees. But that is not really what's indicative of how hot it is on the city streets. For example, an unscientific measurement from the New York Post showed that it was actually 122 degrees between West 3rd Street and 6th Avenue in Greenwich Village today on the pavement, 122 degrees. Even worse, at the Thomas Green Playground in Brooklyn, the rubber bedding surged to 155 degrees. Now, they call this, and I had never heard this before, the disparity between the official temperatures that the National Weather Service is showing and what a, I guess, amateur would show is called, there's actually a name for it, it's called the Heat Island Effect. And it, part of it is the fact that the Weather Service puts thermometers, official thermometers, protected from direct sunlight. But the on-air street temperature is always much hotter. And that's what us everyday people experience when we're walking through Manhattan. Because we're actually measuring the heat on the street. And because heat's absorbed by the asphalt and the concrete and you know the buildings, the glass in the buildings, the heat is, is more or less contained in one area because there's not a lot of wind that goes through the city because there's a lot of buildings in the summer especially it means that it's much hotter than what it usually feels like and right now it's 92 degrees out and it's 9:30 at night on a saturday and it feels like 100 according to the weather app 100 degrees at night this is what we talked about yesterday where heat stroke is a serious concern luckily today I was a mixture of being outside and then most of the day inside I tried my best to survive the outdoors but it was brutal I mean I was sweating walking from the backyard to go to the bathroom up the stairs I was already sweating so I tried to spend as much time as I could indoors because today was just brutal and tomorrow is going to be even more brutal and just a quick running update I am going to go for a run tomorrow morning I say I'm going to go for a run tomorrow morning I will go for a run tomorrow morning I'm thinking about 7am to try and beat some of the heat, although if it's already 90 degrees now, it's not going to get much lower tonight, so it'll be hot, but at least I won't have the direct sunlight on me beaming down, causing just an unnecessary bout of sweat. So last night, I spent an hour late at night trying to get the podcast uploaded, and I got copyrighted. on YouTube now I get copyrighted on almost every video I put up which I understand I'm using copyrighted music I used to use you'll know the kind of kiss jingle I end with I used to use it in the beginning but then I sort of said to myself I kind of want to do what I want to do and I love music it's sounds kind of stupid but music is my life I really do love music I listen to music all the time and I like to share some of the songs that I enjoy with, who, with who's ever listening to this podcast so I use licensed music And usually when you you use licensed music on YouTube, they'll copyright claim it and they'll basically say there's going to be ads and all of the monetization, which is none on my videos, would go to the copyright owner. Now, let's put this in perspective. I am a channel with 54 subscribers and I probably average on YouTube between zero and four views. So let's meet in the middle with two. Now, assuming one of those views is me rewatching the video I just put up to make sure it's okay, I average one view. Now, I know YouTube's algorithm does not discriminate between how many subscribers a channel has, but I put up a video yesterday using a sample, a 10-second sample of Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix has been dead since 1969, I think 1969 or 68. He's been dead for 50 years, basically since the Apollo landed on the moon. And Sony Music Entertainment, who I guess owns the licensing for the music, not only copyrighted my video, which is fine, I completely expect that, and I think copyright laws are good, but block the video in every country. That to me is a bit excessive. I think this is an example of when laws go way too far. I understand copyright's important. Then just monetize the video. I'm giving you free publicity, you know, for the one view that I have. It was just a little bit silly that on SoundCloud it's up and it's not a problem. So if you want to watch and that's why I always say, if you want to watch the podcast, you have to or listen to the podcast, you have to do it on SoundCloud because SoundCloud doesn't seem to have these stringent policies and I'm not monetizing anything. I don't make any money from this. I've, I I I get 10 views maybe on SoundCloud. So, it's not like I'm running away here with money. But you know, to get to get blocked and and, and what I found is the more stringent policies are the ones with artists who are older or deceased. Like The Beatles went on this huge Fit where they basically removed everything that was Beatles related from YouTube and, and the only thing on Beatles right now is Beatles Vivo which is sad because a lot of Beatles covers were taken down a lot of instrumentals that I really enjoyed were taken down and it's like the only Beatles songs you can have up there now are the very f- you know few Beatles songs they made music videos for and officially released it's just silly You know, if you want to monetize the video, monetize my video. I have no problem with that. I have videos up on the LifeLog channel. I I used Oasis for a video I made for Alyssa when we went to Vancouver. And, you know, it's copyright claimed and they take the whatever ad revenue. It's got 600 views. You know, it's just a little bit excessive. And I think I've been reading on Reddit that Sony Music Entertainment is a big, big culprit of just copyright claiming everything and anything under the sun that they own. But to not even allow the video to be up and just take it and block it completely to me was a little bit silly. So what I'm doing now is taking a cover from YouTube of a guitar, of the guitar solo, which is really what I wanted it for, and putting that up there. And I'm hopefully that they don't, you know, copyright claim that because it's not even it's just a guitar solo, it's not even a backing track on it. It's just him playing the guitar. It's just a little bit silly. I don't I don't really understand why they did that. Well I do understand why they did it, they're greedy, but to me it seems a little bit stupid. So we're going to the Hamptons next week. And I took a vacation in April, but I feel like I need a much needed vacation next week. And we're only going for basically two full days. We're going from Friday morning to Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, whenever you want to leave. But I found a really nice Airbnb in East Hampton, which is on the very eastern end of Long Island. And over there, there's great beaches and very, you know very cute small towns. East Hampton, from what I'm reading, is a big artist community, which is pretty neat. So we're going out there next week. About eight of us rented a house and it's a big house, has a pool, has a, we just found out it has a trampoline, didn't even advertise that, but one of the reviews said they had a trampoline, so that'd be cool. So we're just going for a couple of days and we haven't really done one of these friends trips in pretty much ever. And I'm I'm looking forward to it because it'll be nice to spend just a, a nice long weekend relaxing with with some good friends and we're going food shopping, we're going to go to Costco and get a bunch of food, you know, good breakfast food, good dinner food. We may even do a Sunday dinner on Saturday night meatballs and kind of a traditional italian dinner. So, i think it's really important to spend time with friends outside of your normal routine. And i think going away with friends for a long weekend and this trip was pretty affordable. I got a great deal from Airbnb. Uh i think it's just a nice change of pace from the normal day-to-day routines. So, we're looking forward to doing that next week. It's going to be a little tough to record the podcast, but i'll do my best. I may do them ahead of time and then release them on friday and saturday. That's probably what we'll do. I'll probably release them, you know, record them ahead of time and then release them on, on a scheduled basis because you can do that on SoundCloud and YouTube, which is really nice. But, you know, it got me thinking that, you know, we haven't, this is the first time we've really gone away with everybody. And to me, it should be a great trip. I'm looking forward to it. And then we're going to, in August, we're going to Charleston, South Carolina or North Carolina, South Carolina, Charleston, South Car- Charleston, South Carolina, because Charleston, North Carolina, South Carolina. I've always wanted to go to Charleston since really forever as long as I can remember the charm in the city from what I've seen and the history of the city being such an old city in the south it just it looks like a place to visit in the summer and that's what we're doing in late August I've been on a real kick lately in the past couple years not to even visit outside the country but to visit inside the country you know as Americans there's so much diversity in the United States that We often forget that we feel like we have to leave the U.S. to go on vacation, but that's not really the case. You know, I can go to Montana, which I do want to do, and we're planning a trip on that, to go to Glacier National Park sometime next year. You know, I can go to Montana and then go down to Austin and get two totally different experiences. And I can go to Charleston and get a a completely different experience there. And I can go to L.A. and get a different experience there. So, you know, we've done Nashville. We've done, we're doing Charleston. We've done some eastern, eastern, northeastern cities. And then we've done Vancouver, which I know is not technically part of the U.S., but, it's so close to Seattle, I'll count it. And we had a great time. And Vancouver, if you've never been to Vancouver, A, I'd watch my video on the Life Vlog channel about my vlog there because we went to a lot of great places that I was able to vlog from. Beautiful views, great mountains, great food. You know, 20 minutes you're in the city and then 20 minute drive and you're outside the city in the middle of these thousands of foot mountains with snow caps and And you're on the most beautiful stretch of highway in the world called the Sea to Sky Highway. It really is a great experience. So if you've never been to Vancouver, I definitely recommend going. But the point was, you don't have to leave the United States to go on a great trip. And I kind of want to go to Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard sometime next summer. So there's a lot of exciting things with travel. I'm really trying to travel more at this point. Uh, We can. You know, luckily enough, we we were able to. So take advantage of that while we can. So apparently fish... Can have breakups and their breakups can really affect their mood, which I thought was really interesting. Very interesting. I use the word really a lot and very. I gotta make a habit of not doing that and actually use more descriptive words to describe something. Not say very tired, say exhausted, right? But a science study in France at the University of Burgundy studied this fish species called the convict. Cisthold. It's a, man, a, man, a magnanim, whoa, monogamous fish species that does form long-lasting pairs, which I thought was really interesting. I didn't think fish did that. But they did a series of tests where they basically took a female fish, and they gave it kind of two men, and then they picked a the man, and they took the man away. And they found out that the, the fish where the man was taken away, essentially, boiling it down in layman's terms, was a more pessimistic fish. And they did that through a series of, of food tests where they did different color food options and they basically chose a certain option that determined that the fish that was with a partner it didn't like was more pessimistic. So very much like humans. I had no idea fish really had any sort of cognitive ability. But it makes you also think that there have to be animals that I critically think is the wrong word, but share the same emotion as humans. You know, You know cats and dogs, especially dogs, You know, they're emotional animals. They cry when they're upset and they get very excited when they see their owners. And So they have to have some type of emotion. Now, do they realize they're exhibiting that emotion? I don't know. But nonetheless, reading that a fish can have a series of breakups or can have breakups and be really affected by it, to me, is hilarious. It's sad and hilarious. Just a pageant of a depressed fish just swimming all by its lonesome after it lost a man of its life. It's sad, but I guess it makes you wonder that we're not that unique, that we share a lot of stuff with other animals. If anything, what makes us unique is the fact that we're very good at destroying the earth, that we, that we are very unique on that point. Basically, we kill, or kill each other, which other species do, but we're also very good at destroying nature and destroying our own habitat, which I don't think a lot of animals actually do. A little food for thought there. And finally, there's a company that's aiming to make flying a bit less miserable. Oh, If there's a company doing anything that would make the flying experience better for someone who is six foot two, you have my vote of approval. A Colorado company called Mallin Lab Seating has a new design called the S1 Space Seating, which is essentially a design that increases the amount of room in between the middle seat or increases the amount of room on the middle seat. So what it's doing is it's taking the three seats that you're used to on airplanes, and it's lowering the seat, the middle seat, down below the two end seats and pushing that seat back a bit, a couple inches. And what this does is when you do this kind of layout, it actually adds three more inches, I'm sorry, two more inches, no, three, three more inches of room for the middle seat because everyone knows when you fly the middle seat is is just the worst you can't have an armrest there's never any room for the person in the middle unless you're someone small like Alyssa who's five foot you know if I'm six foot two there's no way I'm getting the middle I would do anything in my power to not have a middle seat but what this does is it lowers and moves back the middle seat which solves the armrest problem because now the person in the middle seat is kind of push back so they can actually share the armrest with the other two sides, which is a big deal. And it can happen within the confines of the plane because you're not you're not expanding the seat itself, right? So you can use the same structure that planes have now. You basically just replace the seats out with new seats and you'd give that middle seat three inches of extra room. Because... I'm not that like wide of a person, and I have a hard time fitting in the seats as they exist now. So when you see someone who is larger trying to fit into an airplane seat, they really should be buying two seats, but that's a story for a different day. This will at least allow that middle person a little bit of extra room as compensation for the seat that they currently have. Or a compensation for the for the having the middle seat because the middle seat sucks, but so does the window seat everyone can look out the window. I can look out the window from the aisle seat the middle the window seat's useless to me. The only downside though that's not all perfect uh a downside with this seating arrangement is that it doesn't recline now for me as an example, I'm six foot three. I can't recline anyway. Because when you recline in an airplane seat, what it does is it moves the bottom of the seat forward as the top of the seat moves back. So I actually can't fit my knees if I recline the seat. So this doesn't affect me at all. I can care less if I can't recline the seat. But for those that sit in the middle, and I will pay extra money if not sit in the middle. For those that sit in the middle, this is a pretty neat idea. It's nice to see some type of change happening. Maybe. According to the company, they're working with 10 airlines right now, although no names seem to have been released. And it won't happen for at least another year. But please, guys. You know, like... Oh, we spoke of this before with the, with the plastic. Where the companies on airplanes were making a big deal that they were going green. I don't care about that. Don't go green. Give us better seating, please. Give me the bag of peanuts back. Please. Ugh. What are we on? Oh, what 20 minutes in. Oh, this is unbelievable. Time is just flying. I promise tomorrow we're going to have a new segment... For the three of you that watched this, one including myself. Tomorrow, we're going to have that new segment, I promise. I have it all ready to go. I just didn't have time today. We're going to have to push it to tomorrow, which is fine. Because we're doing these daily for at least the next 10 days. On that note, I'm going to end it here. It's a Saturday night. It's 1,000 degrees outside. We have to wake up early tomorrow to go for our run. I'll report back tomorrow how our run goes. On that note, guys, lots of love. Lots of respect. Peace.